Welcome to The Equality Lens, the podcast dedicated to educating you on equality, diversity and inclusion. Together, we can make a difference in our society. Join host Amrez Khan along with special guests as they share their experiences, discuss their perspectives and thoughts. Please note, comments shared are the thoughts of Amrez and his guests and not that of any organisations they are employed by or associated with. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hello, you're joining the next episode of The Equality Lens. Today, I'm with a guest who I really, really look up to. He's a man of many talents. He works across the NHS at a national role at the moment and somebody who has done so much in his time. I was lucky enough to meet him to see him in action and today I'm even more lucky to talk to him directly. It's the fantastic Mr Paul Deemer. <laughs> thank you very much Amrays and thank you for your kind words and it's wonderful to be here. Thank you Paul, it's, it's lovely. I know we've spoken on many occasions in my previous roles and everything so it's so nice just to have a bit of time with you, have a bit of a chinwag uh, on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to have a chinwag. Never, never turn down a chinwag is what I say. <laughs> I promise you next time, hopefully it'll be in person. We can get a proper drink and don't <laughs> have to be sat behind computer screens in, I don't know where you're based. Are you in Leeds? No, everybody thinks I'm in Leeds, but oh. I actually am in Essex, in beautiful Essex. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, because obviously you work for NHS employers, don't you, as head of EDI. Um, so yeah, just an assumption that you were based in Leeds, but yeah, why Essex? I'll have to have to visit sometime and see the wonders of Essex. Yeah, you've you've obviously got an unconscious bias towards Leeds, Emrys. <laughs> I love Leeds because my mum lives in um, in Halifax, so it's it's next door. So I yeah. just think everything's based in Leeds or London. So something for me to think about there, Herr Paul. So um, obviously uh, an introduction there and you've done lots of different things and um, you'll be amused to know that I was stalking you these past few days and having a look at your socials and your bio on your um, NHS employers to find a bit more about you so I can see you've done so much. Have you had any career highlights that stand out for you? It's a really interesting question, actually, Aris, and I'm glad you asked it because, and it's it's actually a very apt moment for us to be having this discussion, um, because you may or may not know this from your uh, stalking, but I actually hit the grand old age of sixty this year. Um, no. no, yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> you look twenty, Paul. Lies, all lies. <laughs> Oh, age, you can't get past age, I'm afraid. Age will, uh, tide waits for no man or person, as they say. So, um, but it, it means actually that I'm in a very reflective mode at the moment in all sorts of ways. Um, so uh, it's a great time to be having this conversation. And, and thinking back on the career, you're quite right. There are moments, there are moments um, that do stand out. And I picked three out, if that's okay with you, Amrace. Yeah, of course. Tell me everything, Paul. <laughs> so, and there are three significant points because they they are moments. I think when I uh, experienced or saw 
or encountered something that um, mm. was completely new and unique to me. Um, but they changed my whole way of working and my whole way of being afterwards. So the first one was actually when I was working, actually the first two are when I was working at Bernardo's. Um, and the first one was actually back in the mid nineties when I started at Bernardo's, um, which is a children's charity as, as people will probably know. Mm. Um, and um, I was exposed to um, drama-based learning. Now I say that now and people say, oh, drama-based learning, you know, we do that all the time. But actually at that time, it was very, very unique. And, and when I think about it, it was quite exceptional because the way I got into it was um, through uh, a charity which was called Red Balloon. And, and bearing in mind that Bernardo's is a children's charity, so their, their raison d'etre, if you like, was to protect children. Um, and this um, charity, Red Balloon, it was based in Cambridge. And, and the woman there, I, I still think of, and I still uh, wonder where she is now, actually, many a times, is um, Dr. Carrie Herbert. Um, and she set up this um, charity for children who'd been excluded from school um, and bullied. And um, and so the and she had she had a, a link to to a drama and actors. I don't quite know how it happened, but anyway, she used drama as part of her therapy with the children. Um, and obviously, we had connections with her through Bernardo's. And one day, I was talking to her, and she said, "Well, I can do this for staff as well." And I thought, well, what a fantastic thing. So we we um, asked her to do a few sessions um, with um, Bernardo's staff, which she she did. People loved it, um, absolutely loved it. It was, it was one of those drama sessions where you have a group of actors on the stage and they played out some scenarios. And then occasionally, as the director, she would step in and say, okay, freeze. And all the actors would freeze and the audience would then be given the opportunity to ask the actors and actresses questions. Yeah. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And it was just fascinating. And it was all about bullying in the workplace. So that was the thing. So that was a was a huge experience for me. And um, I've never forgotten it. And it's always reminded me, I think, that if you're going to um, effect change in people. We talk a lot about change uh, in the human resources world and in equality, diversity, and inclusion. But if you're going to effect change in people, you've got to do it in a way that's going to inspire them. And at that time, for me, it was drama-based learning. For lots of other people, I think it had a big impact as well. So it was about remembering, you know, the uniqueness of of things and how we need to keep things fresh, if you like. Um. The second one was also when I was um, working at Bernardo's. And this was more of a personal thing because um, I was asked uh, one year, towards the end, actually, it was around 2000, year 2000. Uh, I was just about to sort of finish my career at Bernardo's. But um, I was given the opportunity to do some personal development training. And so I was looking around and I found... Um, something on emotional intelligence, which again, at that time was relatively new and relatively untried and untested. Um, and I found uh, a company called EI World um, and um, the fantastic chief executive there, who I'm still very, very close friends with, um, a woman called Geetu Barwani. Um, and Geetu was running um, personal development, emotional intelligence sessions. Um, and so I signed up for one of these sessions 
and I really, really wasn't quite sure what I was signing up to. So I um, I trekked off to the to a farm, a barn. I think it was a converted barn somewhere in the middle of Cheshire. Um, which, as an Essex boy, you can imagine, I I wasn't very familiar with Cheshire, uh, unfortunately, at that time. <laughs> um, but um, it was a beautiful place, actually, and it was and it was so peaceful, um, and um, the whole environment. And this was a week. I was up there for a whole week, so it was very intensive. And actually, it turned out there was only four people on the program, um, so myself and three others. And actually, two of the other people I'm still in contact with. So this was this was twenty odd years ago, um, and these are pe- these are people who became lifelong friends. Um, and it was just so impactful. This the whole um, she had a whole science behind emotional intelligence, which she'd been developing and researching um, Gita, and um, she was basically just trying to she was trying us out really as guinea pigs. Um, and it really made us look at ourselves. It was a very, as I said, a very intensive course, but it was also a um, very reflective course. So it made you look at yourself and look at your values, look at your ways of working, look at um, how you interacted with people. Um, and um, yeah, it was a it was a huge it was one of those courses, you know, that people talk about courses that they go on, you know, that have been life changes. But again, that was another one for me. Um, and again, those lessons of emotional intelligence still hold with me today and I still carry them through and I still talk about emotional intelligence, uh, you know, as a key skill that I think people need to develop, particularly working in equality, diversity, inclusion. You know, you can't um, seek to, um, again, expect people to change um, and follow what you're saying, if you like, in terms of those areas. If you don't understand yourself, you've got to know where you're coming from. You've got to know what your base is. And that's what that training did for me. Um, and then the third thing, which is sort of linked to that, I suppose, but it happened a few years later, actually. It only happened probably about five years ago. Um, I was approached by a researcher um, and she was doing a piece of research um into why white people go into diversity <laughs> which <laughs> you know I know I know a lot of research is very niche but I when she approached me I thought that's just too niche surely isn't it why you know who's going to be interested in that um but it interested me um, and I thought well okay I'll, I'll talk to her so I remember we met up in um Euston in uh, in London um just over a coffee um we i think we had an hour schedule we ended up spending a good two and a half hours i think talking and again you know the the questions that she asked me just really made me think you know about why i did choose to go into the area of um equality diversity and inclusion and in a way that i hadn't really thought about before i just done it and if i'm honest with you to a certain degree, I fell into it, unfortunately, Amrays. I must admit, it wasn't a planned move into this area. I was a human resources professional and I fell into equality, diversity and inclusion, as many people do. But um, I did it for a reason. And when I talked to her for two and a half hours, I understood why I'd done it. I understood the reasons behind why I'd done it. So so it was fascinating. So uh, I suppose that, um, yeah, those three things together are really, really sort of key moment career moments for me they sound really insightful paul and and they resonate with me as well 
drama sort of therapies and learning, I very recently was a part of that. And it was so powerful. It was so, so powerful. And I, like I say, with the actors, you get to freeze them and hear their thoughts. And really powerful learning for participants, especially people who required education and learning in a particular area of equality, diversity and inclusion. So yeah, that's fantastic. And then sort of your last point there that you talked about falling into EDI. Well, guess what, Paul? So did I. <laughs> so did I. It's interesting. I uh, My background's marketing and comms. I'm not sure if you're aware. And I loved it and had this vision that one day, hopefully, I wanted to be director of a comms team. Mm-hmm. And then I was given this portfolio of EDI and shown the ropes, talked a lot about it with um, Tracy Jolliffe from the NHS Leadership Academy, who I'm sure you'll know of, mm-hmm. and just seeing her and her passion. And I thought to myself, I want a bit of that. I want to be part of that change. And I recognised that so many things happened and I was quite naive to it. So, yeah, I fell into EDI too. Mm. <laughs> and then I met you. What, what else could I want, Paul? <laughs> Talking about EDI, it's quite personal, isn't it, what it can mean to you and your experiences. And I was quite keen to hear from you, if you don't mind, what does EDI mean to you? Yeah, no, that's that's fine. And that's absolutely true, Amrej, you're right. Um, it does, it's very personal to everybody. Um, I think the first thing I'd say is that it's not an acronym. Um, so <laughs> that's not a criticism, by the way, but it is something we all fall into. So, and I do it myself as well. Yeah, we tend to um, use acronyms when it comes to this area. And I think that can be quite dangerous. Um, mm. you'll, you'll know about the debate I think it was last year, might have been the year before, that was uh, rolled in around about BAME, you know, the term BAME. Do we use the oh, term yes. BAME? And, and again, I think it was a classic example of why we shouldn't um, use the term BAME. I think it was quite right. It wasn't quite um, discussed in the in the right way, but I think the essence of it was, was true and that we should actually use the words rather than try to capture everything uh in you know four syllable um four letters you know because it just doesn't work um so in that respect as well um equality diversity and inclusion for me it, it actually although i fell into it um it was very much a natural um next step i think in terms of my human resources career because i went into human resources um, wanting to make a difference, you know, so there was nothing unusual or exceptional about that. But I did genuinely want to work in a profession where I could improve um, the people's experiences of work. So in that respect, you know, in terms of equality, diversity and inclusion, what I've always sought to do is if there's inequality if I, or if I see inequality in the workplace, I try to change that. And I try to create equality. And if there's um, uniformity or standardization in the workplace, I try to um, change it and create workplaces where diversity is welcomed and accepted and not just tolerated. 
which I think was certainly where I started in in my career. It was we talked a lot about tolerating um, difference, but now we talk about welcoming difference, which I think is is really important. And if there are workplaces where um, certain groups or individuals feel excluded um, for various reasons. Um, then again, you know, I wanted to um, create inclusive workplaces um, and workplaces where people felt at ease and felt as though they could bring themselves to work, um, to use a phrase, you know. So um, so that's what it means to me. It's really an extension of um, what I've always tried to do, actually, throughout my whole career, which is to make um, the workplace a better place for everybody. I love that. I think it's a great way of thinking and similar to me and I will take that feedback on board equality <laughs> diversity and inclusion absolutely learning for me I agree it's about making that difference it's making an impact a positive difference on people's lives I absolutely agree so thank you for sharing that with us and in your role again I know your role is quite you're doing lots of different things in your role and I know we've you know, I've, I've spoken to you about some of the stuff that I've been working on, trying to hear your thoughts and views and um, getting all that wisdom out of your brain to help me in previous roles. What I mean, in terms of equality, diversity and inclusion, what are you working on right now? Can you give us any exclusives, Paul? Hint, hint. <laughs> well, it's quite interesting, actually, um, because of the world that we're living in at the moment. And we were talking earlier about, you know, the the pressures and challenges of um, you know the pandemic and the lockdown and the COVID situation at the moment, and because of that, you know a lot of our membership at the moment is very much focused on the front line. So, actually, what for, for someone like myself in the role that I'm in, um, and and other people in policy roles, I think what it gives us and what it's doing for me at the moment is giving me an opportunity to think about. Um, some of the things outside of the normal suspects. So actually within the world of equality, diversity, inclusion, you know, not least because of um, the pandemic and the, the, it, the disproportionate impact the pandemic has had on particular communities. And then all the things that happened during the pandemic, such as the Black Lives Matter campaign coming to the fore, um, all of that has meant that there's been a huge focus on um, issues around race and ethnicity. Um, subsequently, there's been a huge focus around issues around disability, um, often linked to that whole area around um, flexible working, reasonable adjustments, um, and working from home, those things that have arisen during the pandemic. So what that means is that actually because of that, there isn't so much attention on some of the other aspects of, of equality and diversity. And you'll know, Amrays, that um, you know, the Equality Act, if you take that its its essence, you know, covers nine protected characteristics. And I've just named two. So there's seven others there that aren't getting um, as much attention as they should. So actually in answer to your question, we're trying to focus now on some of those um, areas that get less attention um, and which are less mainstream, if you like, and where there's actually not great a great deal of guidance or a great deal of advice. And these tend to fall into areas of equality, such as um, gender reassignment, for example, um, religion or belief, 
Um, and also age. You know, age is a is a protected characteristic under the Equantia, and it gets very little um, discussion in terms of um, equality, diversity, and inclusion. And actually, you know, it's a huge thing whether you're at the at the lower end of that spectrum or the higher end of that spectrum. Um, you know, it's it's a huge um, uh, factor for people when it comes to um, you know their working lives. Um, and people are always going to be at different stages, and you need to consider that in all the work that you do. So, um, so those are the things that we're concentrating on at the moment, Amrit. We're trying to concentrate on. So, for example, we've just been asked to produce um, some guidance for employers around um, how do you how do you monitor gender reassignment? How do you when somebody asks you as an employer how many trans staff do you employ? We don't know at the moment because actually our national systems don't monitor that, um, and so we need we've given we're preparing some advice for for employers about how can you measure that, um, and how can you set up systems to uh, monitor that, um, and similarly around um, religion or belief as well. We've uh, we're doing some work at the moment with um, the um, Surrey Business School, um, who have got a researcher there, um, Dr. Ying Fei, actually, and she is doing lots of interesting work um, around um, religion or belief in the workplace and what what um, uh, impact that has and what um, and what impact that has in terms of your working life and and how easy or not it is for people to talk about and discuss um, those sort of very personal things within the workplace. So, so yeah, it's some of those areas, Amrays, which, uh, you know, hopefully is quite interesting to you. Oh, it is. I could talk to you forever, Paul, and ask you tons more questions, and I, I'm sure I will off, off the podcast. And I agree, it's a really good point you've made there around reflecting, thinking, seeing, understanding and recognising where else we can all make difference. And in terms of the age thing, Paul, it's so subject for me. I've just hit 30. Very, very sore. It hurts. But hey-ho, different thing. And um, I, I wanted to say something actually around the first time or the first couple of times I actually met you and saw you in action, I think it was an event and you were presenting mm -hmm. and you put on a video by Dave at the Brit Awards. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow. Oh, wow, Paul, that's left me with so much in my mind. And till this day, I use that video on every training program I run. Oh, wow. <laughs> So it's had such a significant impact on me, that learning that I saw from you. And it was just something I'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. I'd been to training programs on equality, diversity and inclusion. And it was just the same. I call it death by presentation of constant monotone talking, which I guess for some people works. But, you know, you really impacted me that day. And I wanted to tell you that. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, absolutely fine. And whenever I do presentations now and people give me feedback and I sort of say, it wasn't me who came up with their idea. But I'll take that. I'll take that and run with it, shall I? <laughs> and and ultimately now, of course, you, you know that you can also thank Dr. Carrie Herbert 
Um, oh yes, you know because um, it was it was that that thing I talked about earlier about that whole idea that you know if you are going to uh, have an impact in your training in particular, you've got to do something different. You've got to do it in a way that's going to um, make people sit up and think like you did. You know, oh wow, yeah, I get it now. Yeah. Mm. No, I love that quote where you talked about if you want to make a change, you've got to inspire people. Mm. That's something else I'm taking from you today, Paul. There you go. You're influencing me. <laughs> and obviously, it sounds really good, all this fantastic work that you're doing and some work I'm leading in my organisation and collectively across the country, all the different equality, diversity and inclusion leads in whichever industry they're in and the work that they're doing. But with with great work comes great challenges. And I wanted to hear from you around what challenges do you think there are in equality, diversity and inclusion work? So I think the challenge now is um, to move the conversation actually away from equality, diversity and inclusion, which I know sounds weird and bizarre, but we've got to try and normalise the language and I think this is why I was so um, I'm always so um, uh, reactive to the acronym thing um, because I don't want us to fall into a trap of um, using a you know a, a secret code and a secret language I think that's what I came into when I um, joined um, the world of equality diversity and inclusion I noticed that there was this sort of code and language that people have developed and it wasn't particularly helpful I think because it was quite exclusive so I think the challenge now is um, and I think we got jolted with the Black Lives Matter campaign because what that very much told us very much in your face was you know these are these are issues and this is we talk you call it black lives matter but this is actually what it's about you know it's about um it's about people um having um different health outcomes um, because of the color of their skin it's about statues yeah and i know there's a whole controversy about statues but it's, it's about those day-to-day -day things and i think that's that's the challenge now i think as uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion in professionals, we've got to start to move into some more everyday language. We've got to talk about equality, diversity, and inclusion in a way that will help us to create safe and welcoming workplaces where, as I said earlier, people can feel comfortable. Um, I did a tweet earlier, Amrej, you may have seen it, I don't know, but um, somebody um, tweeted it was a response to a tweet so somebody had tweeted saying how do we get over diversity fatigue um, and I see these things all the time and I tweeted back today and I said well the way to get over diversity um, fatigue is to not talk about diversity um, talk about equity talk about fairness talk about inclusion talk about change don't talk about diversity um, you know and I use this phrase which I use another phrase for you Amrose if you haven't if you haven't got this one use it yeah diversity is a fact inclusion is an act yeah which I love actually and I'm using that quite a lot at the moment but it's a nice simple way I think of explaining to people what it is we're trying to do we're not trying to create an industry around diversity we're trying to create inclusive workplaces and people understand that yeah i um i did see your tweet earlier actually so i'm glad you've mentioned that and i and i, and I saw on your twitter page around that analogy that you've just used mm -hmm. so 
I'll be using it more often now. Nick it all <laughs> off you, shall I, Paul? <laughs> I heard something from a former HR lead around diversity is, oh, I'm going to get this wrong now, diversity is asking someone to the dance and inclusion is, or asking someone to the party and in inclusion is asking them to dance. Yeah. I would take that analogy further because mm. um, I've used that analogy myself as well. And I would say belonging, because we're talking about belonging now in, in the world of uh, equality, diversity, inclusion. Belonging is inviting somebody to plan the party. Oh, we like. <laughs> Very good. Lots of great analogies today, Paul. <laughs> Loving them all. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I guess the final question to ask was around health and well-being and self-care, really, because these are tough, challenging roles. We're working hard to drive change. There's challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis and things that we come across when you're seeing injustice happen and you're calling it out. And as you said earlier, you're making sure that you have a positive impact. And that can be quite difficult and it can be quite draining. So I was really curious to know, in this sort of tough role that you're in, how do you take care of yourself? That's a good question. And um, and and thinking about it, I think there's, there's a couple of things that um, help me. So one you've mentioned already. So you mentioned Dave. Um, music. So music is my saviour. Um, and actually, I use it a lot in a in a, a, a therapeutic sense. You know, I use I put on soft classical chill music. You know, if I want to sort of create that that mood. Um, but equally, if I'm looking for um, inspiration, I put Dave on. You know, and he'll and he'll rap and, and rant at me and tell me what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. You know, and other people like that. So, but in I've got a very eclectic musical taste and um it allows me to um pick and choose and use it in a in a way that as i say can can help me in different situations so um music a lot and and then poetry so you mentioned um well what i didn't say um when i was talking about my career is actually the most one other significant thing i did when i took on this role actually which was about six or seven years ago um, I said to myself, you know, sometimes I'm raised, you start a new job and you think to yourself, well, how am I going to be different to the previous person? Because I'd been mm. working to my previous manager for about five years. So, you know, she defined the role to a certain degree. You know, she was the role. And I thought, well, how am I going to be different? And actually what I said to myself was, um, think about something you really love. And I thought about poetry because I love poetry. I've always liked it. And I said, I'm going to use poetry in my role. Uh, and I'm going to try and incorporate it into what I do. And, and I've done that in various ways and in, in various um, guises. And um, there's a number of posts that I've put on LinkedIn, uh, which people might be interested in. And um, in those, I often use poetry quite a lot. Um, and um, and I read poetry as well, just as, again, as a, as a means of relaxing and, and just sort of taking myself away from, as you say, all the... Um, everyday challenges of a role like this so um, so yeah those are those are my saviors music and poetry wow music is my savior too and I love it <laughs> poetry I had no idea mm-hmm. so um next time when I invite you onto the podcast maybe you can give us a few lines 
I could, I could. <laughs> you could, but you may not want to, but you could. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paul. It's so great just to sit down and to have a, a really good, insightful and meaningful conversation with you. And do you know what? I'll take so much away from this chat. Like I said last time, I always, whenever I speak to you, I'm always left inspired and in awe of what you've said. So, and I'm sure our listeners will be too. That's lovely. Thank you, Amrose. It's lovely talking to you. No problem. Thank you so much. And remember, you can catch up with other episodes of The Equality Lens and all my fabulous guests, just like Mr. Paul Deemer. See you all soon on the episodes. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Equality Lens. Please remember to hit like, subscribe and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay safe and look after one another. The Equality Lens. Listen. Learn. Be better. Be better. Be better.